This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm in the middle of writing a commission of a documentary play for uh, Golden Thread Productions, which is where the play I worked on with Amin, my first world premiere, actually happened, Drowning in Cairo. Golden Thread is uh, one of the few Middle Eastern theater companies in the U.S. And I was very excited when they commissioned me to write this uh, play about the life of Ali Abdel Fateh, who was an Egyptian political prisoner. Hey folks, it's another Fanboy Friday with me, Shah Jahan Khan. This week's guest is Adam A. El Sayig. Adam was born in Cairo, Egypt, to parents who were reluctantly doctors. Soon thereafter, Adam's parents relocated the family to Dubai, and Adam grew up in a religious Muslim household with American cable television, going to a British school in a Gulf state where over 90% of the population were migrant workers. This upbringing at the cross-section of cultures is at the core of the artist Adam is. Today, Adam is a writer, theater maker, and dramaturg who writes and develops plays that interrogate the intersections of queerness, immigration, and colonialism. Adam's plays, including Drowning in Cairo, Revelation, Memorial, and Jamestown slash Williamsburg, have been developed and seen at New York Theater Workshop, The Lark, the Tisch School of the Arts, the LaGuardia Performing Arts Center, and Golden Thread Productions. Adam is a fellow at Georgetown University's Laboratory for Global Performance and an Alliance Candata Award finalist. He holds a BA in theater with an emphasis in playwriting and dramaturgy from NYU Abu Dhabi and is an MFA candidate in playwriting at Brooklyn College. My previous guest, Amin El-Gamel, was an actor in one of Adam's shows and suggested that I connect with him. So thank you to Adam for being so responsive so quickly. You can read an excerpt of our interview on Rafaelian's Fawn website for Muslim Creative Projects at createfawn.com. That's C-R-E-A-T-E-F-A-N-N.com. More with Adam A. El Sayeg and me after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And so that play, that commission, we've been kind of playing with it for a year now. And it's really evolved from what I thought was going to be a 90-minute one act into a really giant trilogy. And so that's really like my big summer project. And so I'm in the middle of drafting that. We have a first workshop in a few weeks, and I'm excited about that. In terms of the larger world, I'm really excited. There's a strike in uh, the WGA strike. It's obviously a lot of a lot of loss and a lot of uh, precarity for a lot of artists, but it also signals hopefully a better future. And so, I'm excited for what's to follow. Um, and you know, I'm hoping that there's some type of similar reckoning and reshaping in theater because uh, for all the problems in TV, even the fact that we have the structure of a strike now. Um, you know, implies or maybe um, hopefully brings us into a better future. And I don't know where that is with theater yet. So that's exciting. I wanted to um, pull out two quotes of yours from your uh, your artist statement um, and just sort of ask you about those um, in a little bit more depth, if that's OK. So the first sure. one is. Um, I define myself as an American playwright, despite being an immigrant whose plays are often set outside U.S. borders, because I believe my writing expands what it means to be an American. So I was wondering if you might tell me a little bit more about Cairo versus Dubai in terms of like then and now in terms of, you know, growing up, maybe, you know, growing up there versus being a creator who I'm um, has I'm a, I believe you have worked in both environments and please forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that like a lot of my training and like my time as a I, I moved to the US around like my early 20s after college. So right. a lot of my and, and a lot of my training and learning times there as an artist and my exposure to other people's theater there uh, was during my education was coming from. But it was also happening while I was at NYU in Abu Dhabi. And so um I even the notion of like here versus there is always one that I'm like, I don't know what that means, because like there is a lot of like spectrum of theirs and there are places that are very American elsewhere and there are places that are really not American here. Uh, and I define American in my own lens and what my ideas of what that is. I think the biggest difference is the more time has passed as I have lived in the United States, I'm more aware of how I'm being received and what people think, what like boxes and labels and categories and being put in and like like again my my play drowning in Cairo that we had this world premiere up a few years ago I wrote it when I when I was an a student at NYU in Abu Dhabi 
And I had not, yeah, I've, I've like, I'd visited the United States, but I had no intention of living here at that time. I did not live here. I did not write it for an American audience. And so I wrote it with very specific statements and very specific ideas in mind, because in my head, it was for an international audience, whatever that means. It was for an Arab audience. And then I started to hear the words of the, like, we, then I moved to the U.S. We had a reading and a workshop of it. The, and then COVID happened. And then we were like stuck for a few years. And I was like living as an artist in the U.S. And then we had more readings and more workshops of it. And the longer I spent here and the more I heard, I saw what type of work was being produced. And the more I heard how critics and how um, certain gatekeepers were talking about Arab work, the more I became, I started to hear my own words that I had written years ago differently. And I understood that they were being received differently. And so that um, really for a long time informed how and whether I was comfortable writing about the Arab world. Um, yeah, that's that's I would say that's a start to that to answering that question. It's a very complex question. It is. Uh, it is. But I really don't like the first part, which is this idea of I define myself as an American writer because I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like I think I I I I look and sound like this. I sound I sound like this and I've sounded like this before ever stepping into the United States. Like right. Right. And and so I, I speak about this with a lot of my fellow playwrights, Middle Eastern and otherwise, uh, who are immigrants. And we talk about like when you grow up anywhere else, you have the local stuff and then you have the American stuff next to each other. Right. And Americans don't understand that because Americans go to the oh. movies, you go to AMC and you just have the American stuff. Like it's very right. rare to just like I grew up in Dubai, like I would go to the movie theater and at any given moment in any theater in the country. There were at least, if there were like 10 houses in the movie theater, there were at least going to be six languages and different types of people going to different theaters. And so to me, like Americanness does precipitate in a lot of places and Americanness has an impact on a lot of places. And I think that now that I live here, I'm also able to look at Americans and see the kinds of assumptions they have about themselves that someone who was born and raised here just can't do. And to me, that's... There, that's a value and that's part of why I see I have value as a writer writing for American audiences. Thank you very much. Um, it also segues perfectly into my next uh, quote of yours and then the follow-up question. Um, so your quote is, I write so members of my communities who have historically been misrepresented in the American theater can see their full selves on stage. It's This is great. This is literally a question I, I always ask people. Um, when would you say that as a creator, you first felt empowered, uh, whether it's as a storyteller or, or whatever, to be your full self, like whatever that means to you. Like maybe what's your earliest memory or, yeah, you know or maybe yeah. your first piece of work, you know what I mean? I actually really don't like that quote anymore. Like I would not write this today. Um, and I actually, and it's a, it's a question that artists of color and creators of color often get asked, which is the like, when was the first time you saw your full self on stage? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's a, bit of a sham of a question i don't like no, I, no it's okay hey man that's fine like maybe and part of that is like you should not feel you like the notion that you have to see your if you saw your full self on stage then like why are you writing just like go home um like in my opinion we want to see strands of ourselves on different in different ways on stage and our thing is to bring another version of that and to bring a closer version of that you see parts of yourself in different people so i've never i did not grow up uh, seeing like a 20, a 25 year old queer immigrant Egyptian 
cis man living in New York, writing the types of plays that I write. Hmm. But I didn't have to. I should not like that's the idea that you have to see your full self on stage. I've over as time has passed, I found it to be like incredibly a, a bit misleading. It's it's the idea because then you're asking for representation of the exact intersections of the self. And I actually and and that it's so easy to look from the other end and be like, that's crazy. Not everyone can see themselves on stage. That's not realistic. I think how I've come to approach that question is more of like a comparable self. Like what are other people that I've looked at and seen like, oh, I really like what this person's doing. And I did not think that I was going to see that. And that's an element that I want to incorporate into myself. You see potential future selves that you play with. And so that, um, to me, that's exciting. I And I think the other reason I've come to resist that type of statement is because um, it also leads us into this idea of representation as the answer. Once you have representation, then unless your work is done, back your stuff and go home. And I actually like just don't agree with that. I think like there are a lot of issues besides representation. And sometimes we, and by we, I mean like industries and larger uh, economies like pat themselves on the back because like, look, you have this first person who did this thing. Then like, okay, we're done. And it's reality is more complicated than that. Um, it's about like putting in the infrastructure so that that person doesn't feel like they're the odd one out. Like, so that there's a hundred of that person and we're not having this conversation anymore. Um, is my opinion. Sure. No, that, that's totally valid. In the, in the realm of like, I guess along this representation conversation, like in the realm of theater oh. versus film, where do you think we are at versus where we have been? If that makes sense. So, um, the example that you gave was was kind of right on on the nose there, where um, it's not enough to just like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll use myself as an example. Like, okay, growing up, like just because I saw, you know, I don't know, let's say like uh, a brown kid who was also a stoner, like when I saw the film Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, like, yeah, it was cool for you know those like that year or whatever, but like that's not the end of the conversation. Um, where do you think that discussion kind of is at now? And you did allude to it already a little bit. In your I brain. mean, uh, again, like, sure, there are. I, I I love that. Like yesterday, I watched the first. Ep My friends have been recommending The Bear, the TV show on Hulu yes, for a yeah. while, and I like started seeing it, and I was like, oh wow, they actually spelled the name Ibrahim correctly, and they just picked <laughs> an immigrant who speaks in a clearly non-American accent who doesn't eat pork, and his storyline is not about that. Like he's Correct. just he's just that, right? And I was like, oh, wow, I could never have seen this five years ago. And that's great. Like, that's that's a step. That's great. Um, the question becomes, I think. Um, I feel like, like maybe you are alluding to a little bit more of the structural. Right. And then it's like, OK, cool. But how what about like, can we center this beyond the question of representation? Right. How how is um, who is in the writer's room? Who is behind exactly. the work? Does that does that actor and I I can't answer these questions because I'm not that actor. Does that actor have the same agency and power as everybody else in that room? Because was that role written for that actor as opposed to like all the other white guys in that show who like if they called out something on set they will probably have another thing to work on. So it's a question of economics. It's a question of how are we are we fitting into the a mold that already exists that we now know is like we know is dysfunctional like there's a reason we're striking um but are we just like being asked to fit into that mold or are we actually being given the agency to change what that mold is that our incorporation is not just a 
hi, look, it's the same, but these people are here now. It's so like we are part of in our inclusion, there's a there's a reshaping of what the thing is. It's a question of like, is it an assimilation or is it a a, a form of continuous growth and development based on who's being given a seat at the table? And that to, like the latter of those is more interesting to me. And I find that the conversation of this is the first black player, this is the fiftieth black player, this is the tenth Muslim player. Like I I don't care. I don't. I wanna like. Think about this. We are we're now on this in this Zoom call. We're doing these questions. Um, if we were two white guys and you were calling me for your podcast, you know what we would be talking about? We would be talking about what the style of comedy in my play is and what other comedians inspired that and why I gravitated towards that style of comedy. And or or like why these dark themes and how they pertain to something else. Like we would be, ta- we would not be talking about representation. I want to get to a point where we can be beyond talking about representation, and it's okay that we're not talking about those. Like you're not. No, no, doing no, no. I totally. Yeah. You're not at that point, but um, I'm ready for for us to actually like not pat ourselves on the back for where we are, but instead go forward. But to talk about it from a contrast of film and theater, I think theater. I mean, there used to be a time where people would talk about. I I remember. I mean, I'm and again like I'm in my mid twenties, and so um. This is not that long ago, but I, when I was an undergraduate, we would talk about how theater is so much more progressive than film and TV. Mm. And I think that's totally reversed now. Like, I, I think theater increasingly has a much older audience base. Theater is taking less risks. And the things I'm seeing on TV are just in terms of representation of queerness, in terms of representation of religion and what religion looks like and what race looks like. And it's just so much more intersectional, so much more nuanced than anything I see in theater in New York or elsewhere in the country. Last question uh, that I have is who are people that inspire you? I mean, a lot of people. Uh, Bilal Baig or Bill Baig, who is the creator and, and maker of uh, the TV show, Sort of. Sort of. Oh, I love that. A friend of mine. I love that show. A friend that of mine show... edited a couple of the episodes. That show is so good. Uh, so they inspire me a lot. Uh, uh, Haruna Lee, who is a playwright and uh, and writer for Pachinko, Hansel Young. Uh, I mean, I Rami Rami is definitely a major inspiration. Not that like that's how I would make that show, but I'm like I love that he made that show, and like yeah. now there are more doors to see other people exactly can make other shows. Those are those are a few of them. Honestly, Aquafina, I love Aquafina. Oh, like, like silly humor, like. like camp um yeah this is also like a huge part of my love and interests so yeah those are a few of them i suppose fanboy friday is a production of Rafaelion media it's hosted by me shah jahan khan and produced and edited by ari mathay our theme music was composed by me with help from nick zampiello at new alliance mastering and features my good friend and longtime musical co-conspirator tanya pullet on vocals please follow today's guests Adam A. L. Saig on Twitter and Instagram at Adam L. Saig, A-D-A-M-E-L-S-A-Y-I-G-H, and read more about him and lots of other cool stuff by Muslim creatives by subscribing now to createfon.com. That's C-R-E-A-T-E-F-A-N-N.com. Thanks so much. <laughs>